Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hey folks, welcome to Typology, the show in which we explore the mystery of the human personality through the lens of the Enneagram. My name is Anthony Skinner, producer of the show. I hope you're having a fantastic week. And for those of you that are getting prepared to celebrate Labor Day weekend, I hope you're heading somewhere where there is lots of sun. I know that I am. (laughs) Hey, we have a really great show for you today. A super guest. I'm talking about licensed therapist, writer, and recovering idealist featured in the Huffington Post, Health Central, Catalyst, and Fathom Magazine. Author of the brand new book, This Too Shall Last, KJ Ramsey. Today we talk about suffering and faith and how sorrow and joy can coexist. This is such a powerful concept that we really need to understand because we really do live our lives in the tension between sorrow and joy. So I know you're going to love this episode. Hang on to your hats, people. That's it for me, Anthony Skinner. And now without any further ado, here is the host of our show, Ian Crump. KJ Ramsey, welcome to Typology. Hey, thank you for having me. Oh, yeah, we're delighted. You have this uh, this wonderful book, This Too Shall Last. I love the title. As a four on the Enneagram, it seems to resonate with me. <laughs> I don't even know. We're going to have to go into what it's all about, but already I'm hooked by the title. Tell everybody just a little bit about who you are and uh, the background to this this book. Yeah, so I am a recovering idealist. I'm kind of haunted by my own massive dreams for how life is supposed to be and Mm. what it actually is. Mm -hmm. Um, I am a big nerd. I love to read. And so I basically have found myself in a profession where I get to be really nerdy for a living and write books, um, but also get to spend half of my week working with clients as a therapist. And I I focus a lot on complex trauma, um, but also religious trauma and some medical illnesses um, because I live with a severe autoimmune disease. And that's a lot of the story that's involved in This Too Shall Last is my story of getting sick when I was 20 and a junior in college and it never went away (laughs) and just like facing this is part of my life and um, really like I had buried hard things and suffering and and it was just like a little go-getter until that point my body just Mm. forced me to reckon with that I have feelings and that I can't just push through everything. Mm. Um, so this too shall last is a, is a really personal journey through learning that you don't have to pray away your pain in order to be faithful and that God is in the midst of it. 
in 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 my belief of um Jesus made flesh this man of sorrows there's a sacred presence in our suffering and so I get into nervous system stuff um the way that we're we're created for communion and the way that there's a there's a unique way that pain kind of can propel us into intimacy with God and with ourselves and others if we're willing to stop trying to push it away mm-hmm. so aggressively. Right. You know, um, <coughs> ones like Marie Kondo write books about tidying things up. <laughs> yeah. And threes like Mike Hyatt write books about productivity. Right. Eights like yeah. Anthony Robbins writes books about, I don't know, walking on coals and, yeah. you know, fire and shit like that. And fours write books about finding redemption in pain. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's like as cliche as it comes. Like, I-, I was thinking about this yesterday and thinking about our conversation. It's like, you know, it's kind of, it is, it, it felt actually for me, because I wrote this after I, after I had known my type and was was doing a lot of work of integration. And I remember thinking like, it, it's kind of courageous for me to put this out there because it there's the risk of becoming a cliche. There's the risk of being seen like mm-hmm. I have glorified my suffering or I'm just like stewing in it or, you know, it's so I, it was kind of my little, but I'm gonna do it anyway. <laughs> like, but you know, this I, is what I, mean, I have I, to share. You know, I don't. I don't know if it's uh, cliche. I. I think. You know, we've had Andrew Peterson on, and and Andrew is a quintessential four. And you listen yeah. to that music, and it is all about trying to find beauty and redemption and suffering. Yeah. And, you know, I think all of us have been assigned errands. That's right. You know. Yes. And. Uh, you know, different people uh, are are gifted at making sense of different life experience. And I think uh, for fours, this just happens to be one of their superpowers. That's all. Yeah, yeah I, I totally agree. I think it's, um, that's that's how I see it. Uh, and I feel like it's a, like a sacred gift to get to usher people like invite people to sit down in this place that you don't have to be afraid mm-hmm. right there's goodness here yeah and the other thing is is that fours i, I just did a two-day workshop this week and you know with a bunch of executives 60 70 executives there was not one <laughs> four in the room <laughs> it was the only number not oh well wow. no one person in the room realized they were a four they were a four wow they thought they had been something else. Then they realized uh-huh. they were a four, and then they really were the odd man out in the room. Wow. But and then they're like, "I need to make a life change." Yeah, and I went out and I bought them a copy of "Let Your Life Speak," and now they're they're done for. Um, you're definitely yes. going to get a new job. But um, you know, I think that's kind of our our gift. You know, yeah, it is also as because you're a therapist, a great job for a four uh, is being able to step into those thin places those sort of darker spaces where we're comfortable with emotions that other people aren't and then we're able to be guides for them you know yeah and uh you know i was laughing at this thing i was like you know i you know when i'm a priest on the side you know so it's Mm -hmm. it's i said you know what i'm great at funerals 
<laughs> and I am. I hate doing yes. weddings. Sevens like doing weddings. I can't stand them. Right. To me, I'm just a piece of furniture en route to a reception. Oh, you know what I mean? That's right. funny. Yeah. But, but at a funeral? Yeah. Mm. My husband is a pastor and working as a chaplain right now because part of our story. But um, he got to do his first funeral last uh, fall. And it was... It, it, and it was just like a tiny group because it was still the height of COVID, although no. we're back there. Um, and But I got to just like stand in the back and watch him make space for this grieving family. And, and I saw even like a woman... One of the one of the grandkids of the person who died. He's he on the side as a hospice chaplain. Ryan is husband, and this this uh, grandkid was holding up the phone because one of the the grand the other grandkids couldn't come because she had COVID. She couldn't mm. travel to it, and it was just this really beautiful way to dignify this man's life and and bless this family and like let them walk into the next season, honoring mm-hmm. what had happened. It. It was really cool. It's it's special when, like, I don't know. I've always probably been fascinated by funerals. Let's be honest. I am a four. <laughs> but, like, it was, really, it was really special to get to watch my husband occupy that space and, like, mm. expand the space mm. for everybody else to be there and, and have it be meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. I just anyway, think it's a thing. It was really beautiful. It's a thing. And not everybody yeah. can do it. And, uh it comes with its own burdens and blessings, you know? And uh, Mm -hmm. so that's just, you know, how it goes. Now, in the beginning, you are a four. You you were mistyped for a while, right? I was, yes. Ah. So. (laughs) Tell, please tell. Oh my word, okay. So I, when when your first book came out and you had the Road Back to You podcast, um, first of all, my husband and I were like the first people out of our community who were getting into the Enneagram and this this like spiritual formation thing we were in for a couple of years uses it heavily. So we were like working on typing ourselves. We didn't have anybody to compare ourselves to like, mm-hmm. oh, this person is kind of like this or they hold their body differently than I do and all these things. So we typed me as a one mm-hmm. and... I, but I always felt like I didn't feel nailed. Like it was Mm -hmm. like, this is too generous to me because I've grown so much in this area of my like guilt and anger, um, my, my self-criticism, like surely I should be a little more nailed than this. And also my husband kept going with the like, this is, this is, you just don't want to be your type. And that's why you feel this way. You're just like rejecting yourself and all these things. So anyway, I was listening to one of your like first interviews. I don't know if it was on typology or the road back to you, but you interviewed two ones at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I kid you not, I almost, <laughs> I was sitting there listening to it. And I was like, these people aren't like me at all. They're getting it all wrong. They don't know themselves. so i almost got on your facebook page to be like um i don't think this is what it means to be a one and then i didn't do it because i was like if he ever saw this he's gonna think of course you're a one you're being critical and so i did it and then lo and behold i was the one who was mistaken (laughs) so So um, funny i feel like i have to confess that uh but it was actually that 
also with with the experience of my husband not getting it just like i felt missed mm. and and so fe- staying with that feeling that he didn't get me that he was mm. there was something about my experience of myself that was unknown to him mm. made me get in touch with how that's how i felt my whole life mm. and there was this deep grief of my childhood and the way, like a lot of it was buried because i was just like very just head in books and like doing my thing um so i didn't i didn't grieve as i went <laughs> as a kid um but just i grew up in a really chaotic home mm-hmm. um so yeah the feeling of being misunderstood by my husband first by you though uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I love that. Got me in touch with that I'm actually for, and then it took a while to like discern my my dominant wing, and the subtype took even longer. And I didn't. I just took my time. But but I think the process was just. It was very painful, (laughs) and it was very good. Mm. Um, And I felt I felt like this is kind of terrible to say it this way, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, I felt like I was coming out of the closet. Like Mm -hmm. when I finally owned this is my type, it was like there was this buried weirdo inside of me that I always kept hidden and I wasn't allowed to show anyone Mm -hmm. because I like I would be too judged. (laughs) And it was like the creative part of me Mm -hmm. just started to bloom. Um, And that's Mm -hmm. when I was really starting to publish things and like move toward writing the book. So that's the story. Wow. Love that. I do love that. And I love that you've sort of, you're modeling something for uh, our typology family, which is that, you know, one of the beautiful things about the Enneagram is it it helps us to um, discover essential self, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. and make room for it. Um, And so, like, you know, we have this oft repeated phrase, which is, you know, the Enneagram doesn't put you in a box. It tells you about the box you're in and how to get out of it. And sometimes it's because the box we're in is wrong. Mm-hmm. Y- you know what yeah. I mean? Like, I'm in Absolutely. the wrong box. And when you find out your type, you're not jumping into another box. That's right. No. You know, it's not like you jumped out of the one box and got into the four box. But it, it's but like, it was get like you out of the I four had, box. I had been living in that box my whole life. Mm, Even though we mistyped good. me as a one, it mm-hmm. was what I... In, like you would have been able to see it because you sit with people every day, but it on ex, the externals, like it probably did look like I wasn't one. Why? In a lot Why of do ways. you think that? Why? Why? Uh, because or one, there's some probably three energy there too. But um, are you I, a self press for? I am. Okay, yeah, and it there took you go. it took a really long time to figure that does. out. It does. <laughs> so, and then it made more sense of like why we mistyped me for so long, but. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was like my family system. I think this is a big part of it that I've, I've been curious about. Maybe this would be something interesting to talk about. I'm sure you guys have talked about it on here before, but like the impact of our family system on what role we think we're supposed to play, but also trauma and just like what we do to survive, what we do to feel safe. And for what I did to feel safe was I became exceptional, like mm-hmm. I became exceptionally diligent mm-hmm. and I 
constantly had my nose in a book and just like lived here and like I was exceptionally good and but there was this like buried sorrow under there so I might have looked like my my parents call me have always called me this I hate it sorry parents they've always called me their little sunshine they almost named Mm -hmm. me this thank god they didn't um because I'm not a sunshine but like this role that I'm supposed to be the sunshine because my other some other people in my family who shall remain nameless like Mm -hmm. made it dark and I took on that role and so my my view of myself was so shaped by those heavy expectations and that's that was my only way for so long to belong in my family a family that I never felt like I did fit into but it was one way I could was to be like Mm. good and happy Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. So, and that you say this all the time. The self press four is called the sunny four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. They're called the sunny yeah. fours. They're the counter type. Um, so what's interesting? I think I, I was, you know, often wondered if I was a one early on, right? And I think part of it is is because um, both types tend to be perfectionistic Mm -hmm. and dissatisfied with the way things are. Mm -hmm. And that's right. Like um, we confuse the disappointment with life that fours have with dissatisfaction that the one has with with life. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and so they can kind of be a little bit of a lookalike because disappointment and dissatisfaction can kind of look the same. They're that like, what is that? The Hordesian triangle, like one, four, seven, that like, we yes. are all idealists in our own special way. <laughs> yeah, but. ones, fours, ones, and fours for sure are idealists, and you know, uh, and sevens in a in a different different way, different yeah. way. You know, I was never, I was never thinking I was a seven. I'm not enough. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I know you did. I've heard you say that. Yeah, I did for sure. I was just like, oh, I'm the person who like does not want to go to a party and just hmm. yeah but I'm, gonna, I'm also highly sensitive so that's probably part of it there but yeah oh. well and the other thing is is that when flooded with feelings a one would become more concerned with their duties and responsibilities than with the feelings mm-hmm. yeah I, that is not my problem yeah. you know that, when, that was what did it for my husband that was really? when he finally because it took him a long time to come around to being like you're right which makes him sound terrible but it was real and uh it was he finally realized that like that emotions first stance Mm. of like oh when we have a fight on the way to the grocery store or church or something i need to finish the fight before i go inside right or i will do it inside Right, right, right. Because the like, feeling, not, you're all in the feelings. Yeah, like mm-hmm. I've got to, I've got to rectify the tornado happening mm-hmm. before I can do things. So mm-hmm. that's that was really what helped my husband see. Oh, a one wouldn't they? They would be able to set that aside and like go do the next thing. Would well, go do the real, right thing. Yeah, you really struggle with that's that. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They would need to say, okay, well, we now need to put this aside yeah. because we have a duty right. or a responsibility that's to right. do the next right thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the, the three, the four wouldn't, wouldn't <laughs> definitely not approach it from 
from that no. angle. No. Now you, your, your husband is a nine. Mm-hmm. You're a four. I don't know about you. I'm married to a nine. I'm a four. So we can, we could have a long conversation about that. <laughs> yes. But, but so tell me what it did to your marriage when you figured out your type, your husband was on board and like, what did it change the way that you relate to each other, your dynamic? What happened? Yeah. So we were often embattled before we learned our types really feeling like the other person needs to change. Like it's Mm -hmm. that classic, like let's, we're just working our asses off to change each other and um, seeing, not really seeing things from the other person's point of view, but like, you know, him seeing my emotional outburst or whatever and being like, that is wrong. Like, you need to chill. We got some terrible advice when we were in premarital counseling from a dear man who's a great friend. This was the worst advice we could ever receive, especially for a four with complex trauma who didn't know it at the time. Was um, he said, KJ's in, goes into this shame spiral, and she's in the pit of shame, and she's like self flagellating. You need to don't go in with her. And she said, Yep, yeah, it's bad find her way out herself so we did that for at least a year into in our marriage we've been married 11 years now and finally i'm like i every single time that would happen i felt like i was going to die now i know a lot more about the nervous system and i was in full out dorsal bagel shutdown freeze like collapse zone and when you're down there you need co-regulation in order to rise back to your embodied wise ground itself. And so the beautiful thing about the Enneagram, like learning our types was on, on my end, he learned how to come forward me mm-hmm. and that I actually needed his presence and that that wasn't a bad thing. It was a holy and beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. And, and on my end, I got to see like, his his anger and his stubbornness um it, it gave me this like a piece mm. that he's not gonna choose to stay stuck he, he's he's owning where he is stuck right now and he's not gonna stay there anymore i was really like the the gentle nagger mm. <laughs> before um so yeah, it just gave us this acceptance of our fundamental differences. And we became more gentle and patient and kind and also playful with each other. Mm. Like, of course, we had to learn that way to like not weaponize our types with each other. But mostly we learned how to just laugh. Like one of my favorite things I say to my clients sometimes is like, look at you being you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) just like look at you being you it's just we're just so ourselves and now we don't have to be so like we can we can receive that like have a posture of receptivity to each other instead of always reacting against it out of this anxiety Mm. of we're not good or we're stuck because of what's happening so it changed so much Mm. That's, That's wonderful. Yeah. Isn't that a nice little testimony there? Yeah, Nathan? love that. Let's close in prayer. Pass the, collect- <laughs> pass the collection plate. Close in prayer. Maybe you got a nice hymn out there. Yeah. 
<laughs> I have to ask this because uh, it, it was significant for me as a four. Did you ever confuse your um, your idealism with perfectionism? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely did, and it's it's frustrating now more so. This too cliche again, but like when other people do that, they don't see that just this like deep, almost sometimes pathological drive to do things really well and to be competent like yeah so like for example the the prayer book that i'm writing like mm-hmm. i would have never let myself write this prayers and poems because to myself like i have to master a subject like study it for a long mm-hmm. time before i can feel like i'm allowed to show up mm-hmm. and but social media like oddly gave me this space to play with poetry and I didn't know that I was playing with poetry. So I would like write little lines and play with line breaks. And then I realized, oh, that's a poem and it's moving for people and you can keep doing this and you don't have to have read every uh, like well-known poet of our time to keep writing. Right. That, that's how yeah. my perfectionism like comes out. It's more like, just my ideal like exceptionism exceptionalism really fixated on competence mm-hmm. are you a five it's, wing yeah i am and and it took again this time my husband came in clutch he was he was the one that like helped me see that i've like i just was so uncomfortable mm-hmm. with my intelligence and my brain as a female it felt like i always had to kind of hide um the way that I just love to learn. It felt like you're not supposed to be this way, so like keep it hidden. So I, it took me a while to, to own the five part, but oh, it's more about for me that cons- my energy comp- conservation than even competence. Mm. So it's it's um, wild because I was thinking the same thing when you asked that because the way she just described her experience sounds very five and you even have like a five energy, you know, mm-hmm. even as you're mm-hmm. communicating it, you feel five-ish you know Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. yeah it it took you a while i don't know i i feel like i feel grateful that i could give it space to Mm -hmm. not be like i have to define myself which Mm -hmm. is my major wing um and it made it kind of more beautiful then when i started to try on that maybe i do have a five wing it just came at the right time i was Mm -hmm. i was um my therapist at the time had helped me see that I'm a highly sensitive person. And it was like, I needed kind of like, I was this onion and I needed to, the, the, the outside layers needed some like very tender peeling, like, because there were, there was goodness there and we didn't want to rip it. And I, I needed to go slowly mm-hmm. and learning about my sensitivity and this like innate difference about how my nervous system is wired discharged and disarmed the shame about Mm -hmm. my own tendency to shut down and be overwhelmed uh and like need like a lot of time away from people um and that almost that like prep primed the the pump if you will for me to then like okay this is good like how i am is good and my constant like basically examination of my 
energy and my time and uh oh like i nothing will send me down the autonomic ladder faster than like seeing my calendar and being like we have to add one more fucking thing (laughs) (laughs) it makes me feel like i'm going to die like by the i can feel great when i'm with people like this is great but i will be really tired afterwards like Mm -hmm. it's and and clients are a little different therapy i feel like i've learned how to kind of like absorb less maybe in a good way but anyway i'm going off on tangents it's been a process yeah yeah let's talk about suffering mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah let's. right i mean we got three people in the room we're gonna know how to talk about stuff let's do let's talk yeah. about something we let's finally talk about something we know about anthony <laughs> finally <laughs> finally we get to talk about something we know about yes. right yes. so this book this too shall last really is a book about suffering and i would love it if you could give me and i'm gonna put you on the spot here sort of a two or three sentence uh observation you have about human suffering what have you come to learn Mm. about human suffering two or three sentences please go (laughs) we are allergic to grief Mm -hmm. yeah i could even just let it sit there i i realized in my own experience of pain and loss that most people are naturally allergic to grief and pain and push it away with all their might. But when we learn to occupy that space, mm-hmm. be present in that space, there it's almost like it earlier you said the word thin space. It's like space becomes thin and we get to perceive and participate in another dimension of goodness, Mm -hmm. then we generally are capable of participating in when we're so hurried and we're striving Mm -hmm. so much. Mm -hmm. That's where I went today. If any day you could ask me this question, I might say it a little bit differently, but there's profound potential in the space of human suffering. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Mm-hmm. It's something I've learned. I, so I, I had a, and I've told this story before, and so for those of you who've heard it, too bad. But but I, I had a spiritual director. He's an Episcopal monk. Uh, his name is Brother Curtis. He's at the Society of St. John the Evangelist in Cambridge. And uh, one day he got really angry at me because I was bitching about my childhood and my life and everything that, you know, I... Find wrong with myself because nobody can do self-loathing like a four, right? Yeah. So I uh, neuroticism. I score high on the, what's called the neuroticism <laughs> I do scale. Too. You know what I mean? It's like, wow, you really do bad feelings a lot. Anyway, yeah. Um, he, You're excellent he, at 
Yeah, I'm so yeah. There's me being me. Uh, so yes. he he said to me once. He just got fed up with me, and he said, "You know, Ian, the this is your life. These are the cards. What's the invitation?" And I remember. Well, first of all, it blew my it, my head exploded when he said it, and yeah. then and then the what's the invitation piece doesn't sound very obvious, but he was like, you know, embedded inside of the story of suffering, there is always an invitation. Always. And, 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 and to discover the invitation is kind of the point, you know? Uh, yeah, but you to can't, say yes to just your to life. Say, to say yes to your life. And, you know, so many people spend so much energy as I have. Like, I can't tell you how many decades I spent fighting with my childhood. Yeah. I just mm-hmm. fought with it. Yeah. And, and it, it, a lot of times, just unconsciously, like, I do. I refuse to have had this childhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I refuse it, and I am going to fight it. And I'm going to have an argument with God and my childhood for the rest of my damn life. Mm-hmm. And you know what? You never win that argument. <laughs> no. Ever. You will. It's like a, such, and it's it causes so much damage to your own soul to be yeah. in that fight. Mm-hmm. And so I've just never forget. It's like, hey, dude, these are the cards. It, maybe the staircase you've been given in life is steeper to climb than some other people who had more charmed childhoods. Well, too bad. That's how yep. it is. Now, what's the invitation to what are you being called to do with that experience? Mm-hmm. Because guess what? It ain't being anything else but what it is. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And the sooner you accept it, not resign to it, but accept it, then maybe God can do something with you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know is that i don't know does that yeah that resonates so much um and i think in the religious communities i've been a part of historically or was especially when i was when i first got sick so almost 13 years ago um so there's been a lot of life <laughs> that's been lived since then and a lot of change in what i believe but there's this fixation i think people sometimes don't even go there um because there's a fix, there's a scrupulosity, really, like fixation on being good and being um, like. Even I, I, I poke fun at this phrase in the book because it's just gross to me. But like making beauty from ashes, like mm-hmm. yes, it's scriptural. I get that. But why do we feel like we have to turn our like storm clouds into sparkles. I don't, I don't get it. And that's what we've made spirituality into. And so what I realized was in the space where my body stopped me, like it, I went from, I went from normal slash maybe a little too busy, uh, 20 year old junior in college to, I couldn't hold a pen. Mm-hmm. And I needed help to walk to the bathroom mm-hmm. and, and that persisted. And like, I still have many seasons where I am in pain every day. I, I, I am still, I'm, I've never had a day without pain in 13 years. I have seasons where I'm really disabled. And when your body stops you in your tracks, um, we often like, it's normally get angry, right? Mm-hmm what I learned was like my body was wise. There was a, a fierce kindness 
in the way that my body stopped me and made me have to mm. put down all of my striving and all of my trying to be loved by what I do and never feeling like I fit in anywhere, running away from my story. You know, you, you probably got angry about your story. I, I just stuffed it all. I repressed it all. Um, and my body was like, it's still here. <laughs> it's in, it's right here. We're going to make you feel it. And what are you going to do? And, and I, what I've realized is like what you described of this acceptance. Um, it's far more easy to accept when we, th there's small ways to like learn how to slow down and actually inhabit the present moment. Which I know you, you mentioned before we started recording that you are into meditation. See so things like that, where we're like learning how to just breathe, mm -hmm. how to be in silence, how to walk mindfully. Like these things change our, they grow our capacity to accept being where we are and to say yes to that invitation. Yes. But often our religious communities um, disciple us into distraction and mm. self-loathing um, so that our bodies can't even catch up to that being able to say yes because we're so, we live in a sympathetic nervous system state all of the time. And if you're not there, you're probably in shutdown feeling like you're a piece of shit. Right. So this is a very, uh, you know, our listeners know that, that uh, I have had a long-standing interest in, in the um, Theravada Buddhist uh, writings, you know, and, and uh, because though I don't self-identify as a Buddhist, you know, I, I, would, I would describe myself as a Buddhist-enriched Christian. Mm. And uh, there's, you, do you remember, I'm sure you read the book, uh, because you're a therapist, but the, you know, Scott Peck's old book, The Road Less Traveled. Did you ever read it? I actually it? haven't read that, no. So the opening of the book, I'm just gonna read you the opening part of the book, right? It's just the first, this is the lines so famous from it, right? It's, he says, life is difficult, period. This is a great truth, one of the mm. greatest truths. It is a great truth because once we truly see this truth, we transcend it. Once we truly know that life is difficult, once we truly understand and accept it, then life is no longer difficult. Because once it is accepted, the fact that life is difficult no longer matters. Wow. And I, I always thought to myself that there's a, that's a very Buddhist idea, right? Life is suffering is what the first of the Four Noble Truths is. And, and what that literally means is uh, in the translation from the Pali, in the original writing on the of the buddha literally means something like life is uh the feeling of not at homeness mm. and i love that right if we're always perpetually mm. dissatisfied there's not a human being that is not perpetually dissatisfied yeah. with life right and the, but the the more you argue with that the more you argue with the idea that life is suffering life is difficult the more you suffer mm -hmm. yes That's the i mean irony. thomas Merton says that Oh, Almost verbatim, she, yeah. Did she just say Thomas Merton? <laughs> I, Ian, my dog is named Thomas Merton. <laughs> He's oh. named Merton. <laughs> but they're right next to me sleeping, actually. I could show you them, but we have two dogs that are... 
I just, I just, fell, I just fell in love with KJ. You know that. <laughs> Anthony could oh, tell. Merton says, Merton says that almost exactly. Well, like the more that we try, basically like, try to avoid suffering, the more we end up suffering. He said it better, but yes, than me, right? Yeah. And 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 Anthony will will do this one maybe after the interview, but he could tell you the story of when I first stood in front of Merton's grave at the Abbey of Gethsemane and oh, I yeah. burst into tears. Yeah. Because he'd had such a profound influence on on my yeah. worldview, on my life, on everything, you know. Yeah. Um, okay. Someone comes to you and uh, they say you're a four. You you you're schooled in the world of suffering. You are acquainted with grief, right? And yeah. again, this is why you know. So a seven on the enneagram comes to you, mm-hmm. okay? And they say, all right. So I don't need you to tell me what suffering is. I need you to tell me how to suffer. What would you say? Yeah, I probably wouldn't tell them. (laughs) I probably wouldn't tell them much. I would say, how's your body feeling right now? Mm, Okay. And I would ask them that it was going to be really hard for them, especially for a seven. I think that's at least my experience with my clients who are sevens. Um, like what is it like for you to have asked that question to me mm-hmm. and it's going to get real awkward there mm-hmm. in that space of silence but i think i i wouldn't i probably i don't know i don't like to tell people what to do all right but um, but, but we're in an elevator and i've got a spear sticking out of my chest and i want <laughs> you to tell me that's you're not even going to be able to hear me if the spear's sticking out of your chest Ian. well you can't sometimes that's true of people in your room about to die <laughs> no okay if you want me to give an actual answer do you want me to from your experience how that okay so just tell me how to suffer yeah i i would probably say something like um i'm gonna borrow someone else's words I was reading this this morning. Joan Cheddarster said, let nothing go by without being open to being nourished by the inner meaning of that event in life. Right. Be present to your life. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's why I talked about the body. What does your body feel right now? Because especially with the seven, but this is so many of us. And it was me before I like learned how to get at home in my body. But... <laughs> we any feeling of vulnerability we want to escape and it's learning to tolerate that awkwardness or vulnerability pain grief feeling sad feeling helpless feeling disconnected rejected like it's that moment by moment willingness to say yes i will be with this yeah i don't have to solve it that's how you suffer that's how so, you suffer well. And that's actually, it's not really how you suffer. It's just it's how you live well. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think uh, the church is, or the, the world of the faith and its contemporary expression does a very good job of teaching people how to suffer, right? And no. uh, That's it, why I wrote my book. <laughs> right, there's a, right, right, great. Because yeah. I was and, pissed. <laughs> right, good. Well, you know, a lot of good stuff gets written yeah, when you're pissed. right. Yeah. Um, and... You know, I always kind of, where I am in now with it is that um, there are t- there's two typical responses to pleasure or pain, which is we either push it away or we cling to it, mm-hmm. right? And both, you know, aversion 
could take the form of I'm in pain. I'm going to eat a box of you know chocolate donuts, or mm-hmm. um, or clinging to it might mean you know I'm going to completely identify who I am with this suffering. And pleasure is the same thing, right? Uh, we mm-hmm. cling to pleasure thinking if we cling to it, it's going to stay forever, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I've just also learned with suffering, it's like don't push mm-hmm. it away yeah. and don't hold on to it. Right. If, yep. you, if you make space for it, it's going to come and it's going to go. And you just mm-hmm. have to learn that uh, you, it, it needs to have its way with you. And when it's done, it's done, right? Yeah, it's like, yeah. And, and to like um, add a layer to that, like you just read the title of my book of my first book is this too shall last like there there are things that will stay like my complex trauma history will always be part of my story my disease unless some crazy miracle happens it's gonna be part of my body for the rest of my life it's not curable um that's gonna stay but the my ability to say i'm gonna be with this and i don't have to freak out Mm -hmm. it won't this moment will not persist forever Mm -hmm. both the bad and the good the the, Mm -hmm. the, like really hard moments and the moments of Mm -hmm. deep joy there's then this like every every moment is just dripping with sacredness there's this Mm. we like to bear witness to that moment and you only have it, it's, it's fleeting and it's just there for a second, but to let ourselves be there and let it like blow through your hand, like it's a wind that blows through, that's how you remain stable in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, some things stay, but that doesn't mean that we stay in a dark cloud our whole lives Mm -hmm. so now you raise another issue that i would have and i am personally going to have to do this at some point which is i've never heard a sermon on the topic of equanimity Mm. i have never heard a sermon on equanimity (laughs) if i use that word in church i would have to define it which Mm. is rather sad right yeah which is yeah. like okay so human beings you know i guess i could wait until one day someone ass- assigns me the <laughs> jesus in the storm text there you, you know? go there uh, you go yeah explain that part in the lectionary <laughs> yeah i have to wait for that part of the lectionary exactly so um you know it it seems to me that and of course this is the virtue that fours have to work toward which is how do i remain stable in the face of Whatever it is that life throws at me, whether it's a, yeah. a, you know, a physical ailment or a psychological ailment or, you know, whatever it may be. It's like, how do I just stay stable in the, in the middle of the storm? And it sounds like you just described that that's kind of another sort of um step on the journey of suffering well. And like, and I will mm-hmm. say, Anthony, I... Someone was asked me, and I had a spontaneous, one of my kooky, spontaneous answers that turned out to be a good answer without my having thought about it before it came out <laughs> in my mouth, which is they said, well, okay, tell me what, your, what the purpose of parenting is. And I was like, to teach your children how to suffer well. Mm. Love mm. that. That's good. That's yeah. kind of the big deal, man. Yeah. It's like, teach your kids how to suffer well, <laughs> you know, yep. and because they're gonna, yeah. They, yeah. you know, don't try and protect them from it. That doesn't work. Just teach them yep. how to do it well. That's right. 
you know. Yep. Uh, so equanimity. Tell me about equanimity, which is the virtue of force. Like how, what's your relationship with it? Well, before I knew that I was a four, I got an anchor tattooed on my wrist where I could see it. Nice. <laughs> nice. And then when I, when I learned my type, I was like, oh, yeah, I knew before I knew. Like, <laughs> this, mm-hmm. is, this is my life's invitation is mm-hmm. to be anchored. Mm-hmm. And, oh, I mean, I feel like I have this profound um, gift in my practice as a therapist to it's it's just the constant practice of equanimity like Mm. i especially working from a polyvagal theory like nervous system regulation standpoint it's my role and my great it's my great responsibility and and gift that i get to stay regulated Mm -hmm. Mm. and like Become, well, I've, what does that mean, to, though? Because you're using yeah. a lot of neuroscience terms here. But I'm a little Sorry, worried that people language. won't understand. Thank it. you. That's very helpful. I forget sometimes that I'm speaking my own. I'm in my own little world. But um, so, moment by moment, for example, in this conversation, like, you know, I told you that story about my mistyping. Like, you were somebody that I looked up to. So I'm going to come in with a little bit more nerves than I normally would for an interview heart's beating a little fast beforehand so what did i do i did some deep breathing before we started mm-hmm. and i've got my my holding cross with me and i'm doing breath prayer like while we're sitting here because when i notice myself like speeding up too much like if i feel like i have to prove something or if mm-hmm. i become slightly afraid that like what do these people think of me these kind of thoughts those are there but usually I know I'll notice like I'll notice a uh, flushing in my face or tightness in my chest or my, my shoulders start to like creep up towards my ears. Um, those are cues for me hmm. that I can take a breath and I can remember that I am safe. Hmm. I am never going to reject myself so I can show up as I am. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean in one sense by regulation there's so much more yeah but yeah that practice of yeah there are physical things that i can do to remain present not having to prove anything to anyone but to bless and honor the sacred in them yes and i love that what you just did was give an assignment that i don't think anyone we've ever talked about on the show which is you know there's a lot of when you get into sort of more advanced Enneagram work, there's a whole thing about somatics, right? Like how do you do work with your body, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And I think you just gave fours, but every type really a great exercise, which is, you know, how do I remain embodied as I'm doing, as I'm speaking, as I'm doing things, as I'm going through life, right? And uh, paying attention to clues in the body, right? And, And also that that's part of equanimity work, Right. It's like, yeah, you know, how do I remain emotionally stable and like breathing and being present Mm -hmm. and all these different Mm -hmm. things and that can be done with a little bit of practice. Simul, you know, you can do that while in a conversation. You can do that while walking the dog. You could do that while doing your homework. You know, it's like it's always available to you. Right. 
it's so here's a quote here's, here's a quote fun. from the here's a quote from the buddha i love that i think really yeah. captures what you're saying and also the whole theory about equanimity for for fours it's praise and blame gain and loss pleasure and sorrow come and go like the wind to be happy rest like a giant tree in the midst of them all and to me, that is just a great visual illustration of like that's it. equanimity, like just yeah. stand tall like a tree in the mm-hmm. midst of them all, mm-hmm. you know, and like, don't yeah. let don't let this stuff throw you off balance. It's like because yeah. right. it's going to come. It goes right. just like be a tree, man. Yeah. Be a tree. Okay. Also really beautiful. Something I found in uh, researching the, the book I just finished writing, which I get my edits back out today. Hey, I know that, that's a good feeling uh, it's a it's a scary feeling but yeah for me at least but okay something i found was you know the do you know the biodome in arizona uh-huh. that they made to like what would it be like if we made a new biosphere like on mars someday mm-hmm. well at first the trees um they grew really fast the trees that they put into this biosphere um but then they the trees started to flock over like they were dying left and right even though they were like taller trees than in a normal environment Mm -hmm. and everything they had like done everything they could to to replicate earth's like most pristine good environment but they were still dying and then they realized like the one variable we left out was wind and when we don't have wind blowing through a tree can't grow its roots and i just like so captured by that like we have to welcome the wind there's that i love that image from that quote the buddha like standing standing tall and happy but a tree is still surrounded by weather patterns mm-hmm. and they blow through and to trust that we like every storm that comes mm-hmm. through is only going to sink our roots down deeper That's good. what a it's a beautiful thing mm. when you start to experience that or when you look back and you see this last year of chaos, I did become stronger and I did become more capable of like having being a welcome place for the birds to land. And, you know, like a tree, a tree harbors and gives life to other organisms and but we can't be strong to do that if we don't welcome the wind. Mm. Mm. Yummy. <laughs> <laughs> Yummy. That was delicious. Oh. I love that. I, hey, I love that. I love that picture. Yeah. But. You know, there's another, since we're fours and we're doing pictures, I, I sometimes tell people who feel like they, they're saying, you know, I'm falling, man. I'm falling. I go, don't mm. worry. Your future self will catch you. Mm. And I think that isn't that yummy too? That's oh, that's good. just yummy. That I have yeah, the heck like knows that. what I mean, you know. But that's the kind of stuff <laughs> fours put on post its and you know put somewhere in the house, you know, just to remind them of like yummy, as right? It, you know. Yes, it's that's here. How, that's how life is. <laughs> what did that say? It's actually on a post it. Welcome the wind. <laughs> like to remind myself. I mean, seriously, you can't make it up. You know, a lot I mean, of types don't do it's that just stuff. There. Man. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, they don't, you know, that's our, that's our jam, man. That's the, that's the gift that force bring, you know, and yeah. in song, in art, in writing, right. in life, you know, and, yeah. and I think, I mean, I think one of the lessons uh, today, you know, in, in regards to Enneagram is that, you know, I think 
that in our type there are tremendous hints about vocation, right? Like when mm-hmm. people, you know, I think the Enneagram, this is something we should explore sometime, right? It's like the Enneagram and vocation. Like how, mm. how can you look at the superpower of type and ask yourself the question, well, it's a hint. I'm not saying that a two can't be a boxer, right? Like, an, like we think, oh, the eight can only be a boxer. No, it's been a minute. Two could be a boxer, right? But, mm-hmm. but, but it's possible that they're embedded in these types are particular superpowers that could mm-hmm. be clues, not determinative, yeah. but clues as to what our possible vocation is mm. in life, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. Definitely. And, uh, yeah, it's beautiful. Well, KJ, this has been so awesome. I want to keep going. Let's we can. I know. You know what? It, you know what would be really fun about this is we should get off this and just start doing quote wars. Things, <laughs> because fours do quotes like nobody's business. Yeah. You know, we just yeah. especially metaphors and you know symbols. Yeah. Like you know, let's just talk about all the symbols in our house. Oh, you know, uh, yes. Yes. I just, uh, you, you'll, you'll love this, uh, since we're talking about trees, Anthony, you're going to love this, but I've recently <laughs> discovered, uh-huh. because I have a new obsession, which is Japanese bonsai. Uh, okay. Oh, I've bonsai been trees. about getting and a bonsai tree. You see this? I'm not kidding you, man. <laughs> yeah. It's like, no, oh, that's, that's a big surprise, right? <laughs> um, you can't do that. Yeah. I'm special. Um <laughs> And, You're so uh, special. <laughs> I am so special because I now have a fixation on bonsai trees. And the largest bonsai tree nursery in the country is three hours from here. No way, really? In Mississippi. Is it really? It's in Mississippi. And it's like a giant bonsai tree nursery. That's I discovered, cool. we can cut this out if we find this is insane. But do you know how much some bonsai trees cost? I have no clue. $9,000, $10,000, really? And do you know why? Why? Well, first of all, some have been sculpted into beautiful art, but many of them yeah. are 200, 300, 400, 500 years old. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And it's just a stunning metaphor to me. And, of course, the aesthetic of the bonsai tree oh, is yeah. just. So oh, yeah. I, after we're done with the show, I'm going to get on the iPad and show you <laughs> bonsai trees. And I am going to, I've already ordered one, a, an inexpensive one, to bring home and, you know, uh, and then I'm going to lose my mind, and I'm going to build a Zen garden in my backyard. <laughs> I love that. Those are the kind of things that would capture my mind while I was, you know, watching Karate Kid, but, right? Mm. <laughs> or Kung Fu. Do you remember that? No. You don't remember Kung Fu? You mean the move, the show? The show. Oh, yeah, with David Carradine? Totally, oh, yeah. yeah. totally. Grasshopper. Yeah, totally. Yeah, right. 100%. Yeah. KJ, thanks so much. Your book, This Too Shall Last. Uh, is uh, is available on Amazon, other places. Your Instagram handle, Facebook, KJ Ramsey. That's with an E, everybody. R A M S E Y writes. W R I T E S. KJ Ramsey writes on Instagram, Facebook. Her website, obviously, kjramsey.com. Some new books coming out. One, you told me earlier, you got two in yeah. process, so you are... Yeah. June and November. Wow. Oh, my god! Not this November, but a year. This girl's, yeah. like, jamming on advances. I love that. <laughs> you know that they're not... They're, no. <laughs> you know how publishing goes. I know how publishing goes. We're yeah. so delighted you were on. We love talking with fours, and we've loved mm. this conversation. And mm-hmm. for those of you who are part of our family or new to our family... 
hear these words. May you have love. May you have joy. May you have peace. May you have healing. May you have rest. Until next time.